actually that's the part of the origin story too is my dad was you know getting into this sourdough baking and then making these beautiful loaves and realizing they were sort of empty like they're missing something and when your ingredients for bread are flour water salt and yeast like well flour <laughs> if you have delicious flour then that's going to make a big difference right This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in the sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. I'm Mike Hilburn. On today's show, guest Emma Zimmerman tells us how she and her father grew their small milling operation from the back of one of Chris Bianco's restaurants into a nationally distributed heritage grain and flour brand. We discuss their roots to the historic Hayden Flour Mill in Tempe, Arizona, and what it takes to produce the same high-quality stone milk heritage grain products today. She talks about the benefits and challenges of baking with stone milled flour and why flavor is at the core of everything they produce. Just a quick note before we start, I do want to apologize for the quality of the recording on this episode, both to Emma, my guest, and you, the listener. Starting this podcast has been full of challenges, one of them being finding a reliable and high-quality recording platform. I was testing a new platform for this episode, and unfortunately, it does get a bit echoey about halfway through the episode. I promise to keep getting better, but I still think you'll really enjoy this episode. All right. Well, uh, hello, friends, and thank you for joining me today on the podcast. My guest today is Emma Zimmerman. Uh, Emma is the co-founder of Hayden Flour Mills, producing heritage and ancient grains in Queen Creek, Arizona, just outside of Phoenix. Emma and her team have devoted themselves to making the freshest and most flavorful flowers. I can attest to that uh, from some of the world's oldest varieties of wheat. And they are playing a huge role in the comeback of heritage grains and helping make uh, helping to make heritage grains available to people who care about the quality and flavor of their bread. Emma and her company have really been championed by some big names in food in the food world. Uh, like Chris Bianco, you may have heard Emma on the Modernist Breadcrumbs. If you're a, a sourdough geek like myself, you listened to that podcast as soon as it came out. <laughs> uh, that's with Nathan Mirvold and Francisco Magoya. And you may have heard or seen her in interviews uh, with a little-known TV celebrity by the name of Martha Stewart. Uh, Emma is also the mother of two young children, about the same age as my babies. Um, their names are Sonora and Fitz. Emma, uh, congratulations on all your success, and thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast with me today. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. This is this is our, my first podcast so it was pretty fun i love i love to listen to them so <laughs> all right well i'm really looking yeah. forward to talking with you and especially hearing about your story um about how you guys got started and um yeah. as i've i've read a little bit about you guys and one of the things i find most interesting is that really when you guys got or set out to start this company you didn't have a mill you didn't have any grain or the land to grow it on um can you share with us um the story of how your company got started yes um yeah it's a pretty fun story but i feel like i should start with a confession first okay um, because this is a sourdough podcast that i do not bake bread or know how to bake bread um, hey well there's always there's always uh, a <laughs> Time to start. So yeah, I have. I've been in the flour milling business for seven years now, and have never made bread. Um, luckily, there's like a lot of other cool things to do with grain. But mm -hmm. our origin story does start with bread. Um, but it's it was actually my dad's passion and hobby making sourdough bread. So, um, which is part of why I don't have to 
know how to do it. <laughs> I just steal bread from him. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, it, we kind of got started. Um, it was really my my dad's passion project, and then um, I kind of came along um, in those early stages um, and joined him. But we, um, yeah, we started with we we basically went to this conference. Um, that we have here yearly called the Farmer Chef Connection, and it's to, to connect chefs and farmers. And um, my dad went and was like, "Hey, I want to start a flour mill. I need chefs. I need farmers. Like, I need takers." Mm-hmm. And that's how we connected with Chris Bianco, um, who's been super generous and key to our whole story and successful trajectory. Um, so he kind of came on board initially and was like, Hey, I, I'll use your flour. Like I've been looking for local greens and um, flour is kind of this last ingredient that I can't mm-hmm. know, you know, where it comes from. There's no transparency to it. Um, so yeah, so that's, that was the starting from nothing. I have this idea and kind of selling people on this vision, um, which, you know, like seven years ago, no one else was, doing greens like now it's pretty there's lots of small mills popping up everywhere so which is very exciting to see um but at the time it was a pretty big um leap of faith yeah and yeah so then we um from there we found a farmer Steve Sossman and um he agreed to grow around 15 acres just for fun um, which is not very much of his land. Um, and he's since become very involved and mm-hmm. this has also become a, a little passion project for him and his family. Um, so that's been cool to see. Yeah. So we, um, we come from basically starting, we started in the back of one of Chris Bianco's restaurants and now we're in a space that's, you know, like maybe 50 times that size. With, wow. You know, beautiful new Italian stone milling equipment. So our company has just com- grown and completely changed. And we've gone a probably a very different direction than we imagined when we first started. Yeah, it's been, I've, I've enjoyed kind of watching it um, from afar on social media. And that's kind of how I first got uh, connected with you. But um, yeah, so I mean, you said you got involved about seven years ago. Um, Your dad kind of, it was kind of his brainchild. How did Mm -hmm. you know when you wanted to get involved or what was kind of the point at which you're like, all right, I'm, you know, did he ask you to come on or did you bring it up? Yeah. Yeah. I was, so I was working on a PhD at McGill at the time and that just wasn't going well. Yeah. So I, I was What were you studying? I was studying neuroethics. So it's a combination of neuroscience and bioethics. And wow. yeah, well, your dad also, really... your dad was also from a, a different background. He was like a, a tech guy, wasn't he? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's so yeah, interesting. He had all sorts of interesting jobs along the way. And like, he grew up on a farm. So he's all, you know, have that, that background, which was helpful. But um, yeah, so I had like engineering two engineering degrees and half a PhD. And all of a sudden I was like, what am I doing? This isn't, this isn't what I want to, you know, I just kept going to school basically. Uh So you had, so you had no background in, in, in uh, grain or farming yourself. Yeah. Or business. (laughs) (laughs) I think academia is like the opposite of business school, you know, just um, kind of, exists in its own space but yeah so I I dropped out of my program and moved home doing the like live in my parents basement what am I doing (laughs) in my life Uh and decided to help my dad out with this little business he started and ended up just like falling in love with it um realizing I had a knack for the business side of things and could take his ideas and passion and turn it into products and 
whole, whole company. And um, yeah, so that's been, it's been my dream job since then. And it's so fun to work with my dad too. Like that, oh, that bl- piece of it. I believe it. Really. Yeah. That's, um, yeah, I've always been like my dad's little tag along, you know, like as a kid. So <laughs> and his, like he'll, you know, fixing the car, fixing whatever on the house. And I just like to be there doing it with him. So, um, so we have a lot of fun working together and, um, I know that doesn't always work for most families, but it works out for us. So. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I, um, I mean, so it sounds like, you know, you weren't obviously into farming from the beginning or or even grain or bread. Um, But it sounds like, you know, as far as like the business side, that came kind of, you caught onto that quickly. What would you say has been some of the bigger hurdles um, in the success of, of Hayden Flower Mill so far? Yeah. Well, definitely is, it's not like what we set out to do. At first we thought, we're going to mill just for Chris, you know, mill his pizza flour. And then very quickly we learned that growing heritage grains and stone milling them in a, you know, boutique Austrian wooden mill is very expensive (laughs) and a restaurant can't afford that. Mm. So that was kind of the first wake up call. Um, I had no idea how cheap industrial flour is um, yeah. so competing against that and kind of carving out the space we're advocating for flour being special and fresh and costing what it should and not being subsidized and I'm having a shelf life, all these things that mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, especially like your listeners will have no problem understanding, but um, that that was a big challenge and I had no idea that that's what we were up against. I just thought, Oh, this is like going to be so easy. We're going to make this great flower. Everyone's going to want it. Like we'll be successful from day one. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, I I think we're still kind of figuring out the business. I, I hear, we hear that from milling friends as well. Like there's, we're all struggling but not ready to give up. Yeah. Well, it's, it seems like, you know, it's caught on in a lot of different industries, you know, breaking away from like the, the mass produced industrial model to like the small local Mm -hmm. hand grown, hand produced, um, products. Um, how is that? I mean, is that, have you like, referenced any other models or or had been in contact with any other people from industries like that that have tried to mm-hmm. break away yeah someone early on encouraged us with um looking at like the craft brewing mm. um, oh, yeah. movement i mean and that's you know selling alcohol is <laughs> a little easier than the flower but um that's a that was a good um way to see it that 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 was unheard of and then all of a sudden exploded and now you know the big breweries are buying mm-hmm. up the little breweries and pretending that they're you know their their labels look like craft brews and um, <laughs> it's gone the opposite yeah. direction yeah yeah and that's starting to happen actually it's, sometimes it scares us like ardent mills is a huge well that's like as industrial as it gets with milling and they have now started kind of a off, um, offshoot heritage green, like they're growing white Sonora now. And, um, you know, it's like, you could look at it two ways. Like that's so cool that we've reached that (laughs) level of saturation that, Uh you know, Ardent Mills thinks it's worth their while to mill white Sonora, which was pretty much extinct 10 years ago. Uh Um, or you were like, now we're out of business. (laughs) Um, yeah, we prefer to be positive about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, you know, I, I don't know, you know, in San Diego where I live, the, the microbrew community has really, you know, blown up and has, you know, 
everything that you mentioned uh, has come out of that. And, but, you know, I don't necessarily know why San Diego is special, especially, you know, equipped for, for that industry, but what, what makes yeah. your region or Arizona so good for growing green? Yeah. Um, that's a fun question because we have learned since starting this business that we're a really great, like Arizona and Southern California are really great places to grow wheat. Um, and we, yeah, come to find out, grow some of the best wheat in the mm. world. So the idea of sort of cutting into that, um, you know, food system and keeping it here so that we're actually eating the grain that we're growing um, was very exciting to us instead of growing it, shipping it, um, you know, to some other country. And yeah, so we all, a lot of the varieties that we have brought back, we've tried to find specifically arid adapted seeds. So things that are, you know, a lot of the grain comes from Fertile Crescent area. So um, like the Durham's, and things like the Emmer Faros, those are going to do really well in a dry climate. And they've, they all have done really well. There's certain things like rye and buckwheats that have not, not uh -huh. um, thrived here. But um, yeah, so that's been such a great piece of the story, too, is that um, it makes sense with the land and the geography of where we are, where we're at. And it was kind of already happening just on this really large industrial scale. So it made sense to kind of like, oh, let's make a, you know, artisan version of this. The only problem is that there is no infrastructure for it anymore, which is kind of a problem for everyone that that are kind of reviving these little local green economy projects. Yeah. That there's no there's no cleaner, there's no combine, there's no like the farmer that you're going to get to grow 15 acres doesn't know <laughs> how to grow heritage green. So uh -huh. everybody's learning at the same time. Yeah. So it's like not a great way to start a business and you actually have to like, you know, like grow out your seed stock and then train farmers and find cleaning equipment, like to actually get your raw ingredient for your, you know, product. But Mm -hmm. We decided to do things the hard way. Well, and then that, you know, the whole infrastructure part of that is, as far as I've read, it's kind of has to do with your story and how it began in the first place, because there there used to be a, a, a large production mill there in Tempe, and they yeah. closed down shop in 1998. Can you, can you talk about mm -hmm. that, that and how, how that whole story came about? Yeah, that's funny. I, I completely forgot about <laughs> that's like a really big piece of the story. Um, yeah, because we ended up restarting a historic mill um, mm -hmm. in Tempe. And that's so um, there's a street, the kind of the main drag in Tempe is Mill Avenue, and that um, was built around Hayden Flower Mills. And it was kind of the whole city of Tempe really started around the mill um, mm. and it was found in 1874 by Charles Hayden. And it went through, um, I think three generations maintained the mill. And then it was hit by sort of industrialized farming and, and flour milling and closed in 98. And they'd sold the brand before that. But yeah, so what we did was, read a lot about the early history of the mill. Um, so Charles Hayden days of the mill and kind of how he started. And um, he was using a stone mill from Germany at the time and water powered from the Salt River and actually milling grains like white Sonora. It's not white Sonora. So we kind of went back to that original ethos of Hayden flour mills. So, we didn't, mm -hmm. you know, buy the actual mill because it was huge, like silos and grain elevator and roller mills. And yeah, because they they had moved away from that method a long time ago. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So they'd kind of just gone with the with the times and the, um, you know, that's 
that's just what was happening with milling mm-hmm. and they had, you know, that to compete in that way. Yeah. So we didn't want to, um, kind of pick, pick up from where they left off, but really go back, um, to their origin story. Well, and, and I think for a lot of people, that connection back to, you know, the, the history of that area inspired them to, to get on board originally. Can you, Tell us about maybe some other things along the way that have inspired you on your uh, journey. Yeah. Well, yeah, that original story of the mall was really inspiring. And especially since I was just moving back home to help with this project, I, you know, was when you leave your the place you grew up and you're like, I'm done with this place and <laughs> I'm going to go somewhere more interesting. And for me, that really helped me see the value and, um, the beauty and and where I came from, and mm-hmm. just knowing more about the history of Charles Hayden and um, kind of what he saw in Tempe, and um, yeah, and just kind of that those original um, documents about the mill were so so exciting, um, and that just gave us a lot of fuel starting out. Mm-hmm. We've since kind of like moved away from that, just in that we become a national brand. And so, you know, people don't have that nostalgia or um, fondness for Hayden Flower Mills unless you're from Tempe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, so it's become like less of our our core story, um, sadly. But yeah, that was really inspiring at the beginning. Um, and still like we still, you know, we use solar power and mill these heritage greens that they would have been using. So there's a lot of these fun parallels and Mm -hmm. the Eden family, though they're not, you know, millers anymore, still, they still come by the mill and we, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So they have like a great relationship with the family, um, which is so fun. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, um, maybe we could talk specifically a little bit more about the flower you guys create um, there. And, you know, the, your flower is really my first experience with fresh milled grain. Um, you know, I'm not an, an experienced baker. I've been only baking for about four or five years now, um, just mostly sourdough. And I was really surprised by, you know, the fragrance and the feel and the texture. You know, it's really different from like the mass produced mm-hmm. flour that I was used to at the time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my starter just devoured it. And, you know, I remember that the dough was, was like really thirsty and I probably used, you know, mm-hmm. more water than I usually would. And it's definitely a learning curve for me, like using mm-hmm. stone milled heritage grains versus kind of like the, the, more traditional or, or, you know, the mass produced, uh, grain that right. is available in stores, you know, in, in large mass quantities, um, mm. at the, you know, super, super low, you know, unsustainable prices. Um, <laughs> and you, you kind of talked about that a little bit in your modernist breadcrumb interview yeah. and just like kind of had the difference between, you know, how some, certain bakers who are used to like the, you know, their data and their ratios and, and how that flower performs in someone like a home baker who might be a little more involved with their dough or their starter and can, you know, bake by feel and just and, and can yeah. uh, access that grain. Um, is that something you still come across? Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so different because our flower is coming from a single field and it's a single varietal whereas um, industrial flowers coming from all over the country being blended to a specification so it's very consistent um, which you know I don't blame anyone for wanting that because it's really nice when you kind of figure things out but yes it does think there is a little element of frustration using a stone mold product um, but yeah, for, I don't know. I do a lot of like baking or, you know, things that that doesn't matter where the flour, there's no, you know, it can just replace a recipe one for one. 
some white Sonora all-purpose flour and everything mm-hmm. turns out great. So, <laughs> Oh, yeah, the, the flavors, um, yeah. you know, the flavors you get yeah. and the fragrance. It just, you know, the mm-hmm. textures and the dough, it, it's so different. I, I was my experience in, in, you know, that's, I think people desire that. There might be yeah. you know, like a, a kind of a learning curve, but uh, mm-hmm. once, you know, it, and that's kind of what's unique about like sourdough is that, it's really something you master over years and years and, and it's mm. not, you know, strictly formulaic and you've got to know what it right. feels like. And that's something that I think, um, is the strength, you know, would speak to the strength of like your, your products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And flavor is like, that's kind of our mantra. Mm-hmm. It's all about the flavor. Like why, you know, why do this? Like, there's plenty of cheap flour out there. Why would mm-hmm. we bother? And because we really think these heritage and ancient greens have a lot of flavor and growing them differently too, like um, really taking care of the soil. You're going to pull different micronutrients and um, really create a, you know, nutritionally dense product um, that yeah packs a lot of flavor. So that's, and that's kind of actually, that's the part of the origin story too, is my dad was, you know, getting into this sourdough baking and then making these beautiful loaves and realizing they were sort of empty, like they're missing something. And when your ingredients for bread are flour, water, salt, and yeast, it's like, well, flour, (laughs) if you have delicious flour, then that's going to make a big difference, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, can you describe for someone who, like myself, is unfamiliar with stone milling, just in general, like how how is that process different from the massive industrial operations? Yeah, and I I have to say too, you'll have to try flour coming off the new mill because we think it's even better than um, the flour we were getting before. So oh, I can't wait! Yeah, it's like yeah, it's slightly improved, but. Um, yeah, for even like with stone milling, there's a whole spectrum of um, of technique. But yeah, so the basic difference between stone milling and ro- roller milling is that roller milling came along and really allowed you to separate the parts of the grain very precisely. Um, and so you'd get, you know, the bran germ and starchy flour separated out very cleanly from one another. Um, and then with stone milling, you're, you're more like cutting the grain as those stones twist against each other. So it's like scissors, um, kind of scissor action, cutting that grain, splitting it open. Mm. And so your flour is going to get like flakes of bran. Um, and then even when we sift the flour, you're getting parts, whole parts of the grain, the germ and bran in, in that, you know, sifted flour. So if we're sifting out like, you know, 20% of the grain, we're still getting a mix. It's not a clean, um, you know, white flour that we're getting. So in that way, it's a more nutritionally whole. Mm -hmm. Um, It still has the oils, which add a ton of flavor is that something the oils that get get filtered out in the roller mill process yes yeah so because they would they would filter out the germ and that's where that's where those oils are Mm. um and that's so you get the difference and there's shelf stability of Mm. flour that can last forever versus Mm -hmm. fresh milk product that has now a shelf life which is a big paradigm shift yeah. That we're trying to educate people on, but um, yeah, but I think it probably makes a huge difference for sourdough. And like you're saying, like you started devouring it, like it's very alive. Um, yeah. Can you can you tell us a little bit more about maybe some of the bakers you've collaborated with? Because I know that you've uh, had some uh, some pretty well known. Uh, your your flour is pretty well known and popular with you know chefs like Chris. We mentioned Bianco yeah. there, um, and I think there's also a, now a, a local brewery that started using your flour mm. in their beer. Um, what's what's kind of been some of the feedback or, or projects you've had with uh, bakers? 
Yeah, the the collaborations and the chefs that have supported us have been has been so fun and just fun to see what they do with the grain and you know, like we were talking about the beginning. Um, there's so many other things to do with grain that aren't bread, um, which is really fun. So we um, you know have a a local brewer, Arizona Wilderness. Very fantastic little place in Gilbert, and they do a lot of white Sonora-based uh, beers. And mm-hmm. They're just very creative. They Their whole thing is foraging from around Arizona and creating unique brews from, from what they find. So, like, it fits really well to have this white Sonora, which is a green that's been in the Sonora you know, area for a long time. Um, it's just kind of a flavor of the desert. Yeah, I can't imagine there's a lot of beer like that out there or any made out of that same wheat. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's another, like, beer is made of, you know, a lot of the same ingredients. Like, they're all coming from the same place, even if they're crafted in-house or whatever. But to, so to start with some really unique ingredients, mm-hmm. you can then taste that in um, the final product. Although... I've, I haven't been drinking beer for a long time now <laughs> with the baby, so I don't know. I can't speak from experience, but so I hear that it's really um, some good some good. I'll have to try it out for you then. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, Chris Bianco, one of the things he's done with the white Sonora flower that's pretty cool is do pasta. Um, so he has a little restaurant called Trato that opened in the last years and they really focus on these small bat you know small dish like hand rolled pastas that mm. nightly and that's made with the white sonora and then a heritage durham we grow called bluebeard durham that has been a big like hit yeah just really really love the flavor of this particular durham and so they that so that's been kind of the way that they've highlighted um, our our flower and these you know these heritage greens. So that's that's one of my favorite places to grow go right now. Um, really sweet little you know small small restaurant. Really, um, I mean just yeah like the best pasta you've ever had. Mm. So and fresh pasta can't be beat, but. And then um, early on, we collaborated with Don Vera. He was um, a barrio bread, and he oh, yeah. really, yeah, he took our our grain and was the first baker to really struggle with it, you know, and say like, "I'm going to figure out this stone milk grain." And it's a lot of times our heritage varieties are lower protein, mm. which is, I think, a challenge because most bread flours are pretty high protein. Um, and I don't, you'll have to tell me, but I think there's like ways around that, but you just have to be a little more skilled. So he, yeah, he was the first one to really battle with it and figure it out and make this really great bread. Uh-huh. And now he's, and now he actually partners with a, a grower that's a little closer to where he's located. So he's gotten even more oh, that's localized awesome. with his project. Yeah. So, um, so there's kind of, yeah, from where we started, there's just, it's so cool to see all these other um, things that have come, come out of it. And even just mm-hmm. the sharing that's happened, like, you know, we st- oh, probably half of our products have started with a handful of seed and you grow, you know, a little, like maybe grow half acre and then wow. next year you plant, you know, 10 acres or, uh-huh. and, um, yeah, so it's, it started very small, but it's, it's, seem to cut on mm-hmm. quickly. Well, and that's, you know, I, as far as I can tell, you know, that's because of the, you know, the relationships that you've cultivated and, you know, that's something I admire about your company is, you know, just your way to, you've been able to connect with your local community and, and how like community involvement and support has really been the foundation of your business since you began. Can you tell us a little bit more about the role community has played in the life of your company historically and, and moving forward into today and where you guys are moving? 
Yeah, that, that's a good question because it serves as like a good reminder. <laughs> that's, that's important because we've been, you know, moving into our new space, upgrading our equipment, growing a ton. It's, all our focus has been just kind of on scaling up and trying to stay true to our, you know, original vision. And so remembering that community is important and don't want that to get lost in 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 the growth. Um but yeah, we're I mean we we've had such great support, especially from our chef driven restaurants. Like the chefs um are so I they're just they're the like core, you know, where they're the ones that are like, what do you have that's new? Let me tr- let me try this. Let me take the purple barley. I'm going to make horchata with it. Or um, they're doing, you know, they're doing the experimental things. But yeah, so the chef-driven restaurants, like, you know, probably have 25 chefs that are just, they're the ones ordering every week. You know, we're dropping off at their restaurants and checking in. And that's like the fun. That's the um that's the fun part of the business though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then um yeah, and then we have, you know, we have our home bakers that are really devoted. We have uh, I really love the people that order our whole oats. We have like a little oat fan club. <laughs> <laughs> um because we grow these heritage oats and then what we do is sell them in their, you know, whole, whole freshly harvested state so that people can flake them fresh at home. And they're, they're pretty addicting. I don't know if you've had fresh oats before, but they kind of, I can't say that I have, but yeah, I have put, uh, oats into some sourdough recipes before. And Mm -hmm. have you ever had bread like that? Mm -hmm. Uh, bread with oats in it. Yeah. They're just so, uh, the, the crumb is just so tender and chewy and moist. It's in, in sweet too. It's, it's, oh, it's delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Oats are, yeah. They're just so, they're so fatty and like, just so, yeah, they, I never thought I liked oatmeal, but now, mm. <laughs> and it's fun too, because like my son will turn the little flaker, you know, and flake the oats and so it's a fun morning ritual, but yeah. Yeah, I think, no, community, it's a good question, and it's, like, one I think I don't know the answer to for kind of our next stage, mm-hmm. you know, at this, going from our um, previous mill to now our Italian stone milling equipment is we can now mill 10 times as much flour. Wow. Mm-hmm. So. Well, your community sounds like it's just going to yeah. grow. Yeah, I hope so. I hope people will stay, like, with us, you know, for the ride. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, another a special relationship you have is with your, your farmers and, um, and that includes the farm. Are you guys still on uh Sossaman farm? Is that where you do your milling still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, can you tell cool. us about, about that relationship and, and how that kind of got started or how you guys kind of got started working together and, and how has that dynamic changed as you guys have grown? Yeah, so we started, Steve Sossaman was the first farmer to, to put that white sonora in the ground, kind of as a experiment. Um, and then, <clears throat> yeah, his passion in heritage greens has really taken off, and he continued to grow up to, like, 150 acres of different heritage greens for us. And, and then other farmers have also come on board at different times. And, um, yeah, so our, and so we probably have about five different farmers, um, but Steve Sossman's kind of been the, the key person in terms of giving us space on the farm and then really just making it his own passion as well. So, um, he's been working with more distillers and brewers on a larger scale doing looking into malting some of the grains and so Mm. um yeah it's kind of taken on its own life for for the farm and also uh, become a way for um his family to kind of preserve that farming legacy so they've been farming their land for 100 years and as queen creek 
area becomes more developed, um, the mill is going to become sort of this center of agritainment corner for their farm. And so that will be, yeah, hmm. kind of a, a 10 year out plan, but um, it just ended up being a really cool partnership to have yeah. the mill be, you know, here's like a farm, they grow the grain, it's going to be turned into flour, it's going to turn into whiskey and beer, it's going to be turned wow, into, yeah. into pasta, which is our next little project we're working on, so... Yeah, there's, yeah, the there's people are so interested these days in like seeing where their food comes from and, mm-hmm. and why people would be drawn to that. Well, well, thanks for sharing that. And you know, part another part of this podcast that I, I like to include is um, maybe some advice that you might be able to provide for our listeners. Um, and you know, and maybe one of those things you might have some knowledge on would be for. Uh, listeners who might be wanting to jump onto this heritage grain movement, you know, and maybe uh, experiment with, with those grains and, and step away from maybe the industrial flour. Yeah. And uh, what, what might you tell someone who's using your flour uh, for the first time? What, what, what could they expect? Yeah. Well, can't speak to the bread bakers. <laughs> you'll, have, you'll have to be the one to help them out there. But um, I've definitely eaten a lot of amazing, amazing bread made with our flour. So I know it's possible. But mm-hmm. in my own experience, I love cooking with our greens, just kind of on a daily basis, putting, you know, whole, cooking whole wheat berries and making salads. Um, um, doing mill corn as polenta, which is so, so good. Um, so I find a lot of ways to incorporate these greens into just meals, um, and meal planning. And I, I always can tell people like, just choose one, you know, new grain. Like if you've never used farro before, like get some farro berries and cook them up. Like it's intimidating at first, but Uh You know, you do one grain and then yeah, kind of like the next, but not all of them at once because it's a lot. And especially if, you know, we're going from like thinking flour is just like one thing mm-hmm. um, to then like now there's a farro flour and there's purple barley flour and like. It's just, it's pretty overwhelming. Oh, yeah. Well, and I, I'm, yeah. that definitely applies to, to to baking and, yeah, or at least try to master one grain at a time before it definitely all mm. react differently and, yeah. and uh, create different types of bread and, um, yeah, definitely not yeah. interchangeable. Yeah. So, yeah, even I think, like, the white sonora is a really great one to start out with, too, because it's not, not too different. Um, it will, you know, you can, like, throw it into your favorite cookie recipe and it's not going to be terribly different. Um, like you said, our flour is very thirsty because it's mm. grown in such a dry place. So that does change, I think for more bread baking, but, um, usually baking. Okay. So that probably matter. translates to a higher water percentage for, for sourdough bakers. Mm. Who, I think the, the movement now, or, you know, a lot of people are into the higher hydration doughs to begin with. So okay. they might be, they might be like pushing them out of their comfort zone to add even more water um, than they're okay. used to. But your, but your flour is, uh, can handle it is what yeah. you're saying. Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, and that was my experience. That was my experience yeah. with your flour is that, yeah, it, it yeah, could definitely yeah. handle more water. So in my experience, you know, the sourdough community is is a pretty creative community and a lot of entrepreneurs and um, people wanting to, you know, put their products out there, you know, whether that be a baker uh, or, a, or farming or, um, you know, coming from your entrepreneurial experience, what, what might be some advice for people who might want to consider creating their own business? Mm. I don't know from like, yeah, from a business experience standpoint, I, I just like getting started, like just making something really good and starting Mm -hmm. there. Like we, we didn't have a business plan or a logo or 
any of those typical things. And we just started milling and, and really focusing on doing that you know, mm. really, really well and learning everything we could about it. Um, a lot of education, yeah. self-education. Yeah. And, yeah. And focus. Yeah. So focusing really on the craft before the image, you know, and then it over time, like we could step back and start working on like, Oh, we should have a logo. We should have, <laughs> we should have a little plan. I don't know if we even have that yet, but um, yeah. Letting the product like speak for itself, even if it's, you know, in a paper coffee bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I, I I feel like the product always quality product speaks for itself, and yeah, um, yeah. All right. Well, you know, we'll start to wrap it up here. I want to let you get back to your Saturday. Uh, maybe one last question. And, you know, and you talked a little bit about this uh, already, but, you know, where do you see the local grain, the heritage grain movement moving into the future? Because you guys have really been a part of this in a big way. Um, mm-hmm. And you guys are, you know, as you said, kind of scaling up, moving, moving on to bigger mills. And mm-hmm. where, where do you see it going? Yeah, it's um, it's so fun. We, I mean, part of doing Hayden Flower Mills is just the freedom to be super creative, always dreaming up new products and finding new grains to grow. And so hopefully that's not coming to an end ever. <laughs> but yeah, our new mill is kind of, that's as big as we're going to get. That will, you know, keep us in a good good range of, um, you know, having the right volume to make pricing work, um, for Mm -hmm. accessibility, but also not being too big, you know, um, and just becoming another industrial mill. So, um, yeah, so we're really excited about the, the space we're in and what we're able to do now with the new equipment, but our next project is working on, um, heritage green pastas so our old milling facility which is just like across the street from our new mill mm-hmm. um we've converted into a pasta house oh, so wow. we so i talked about this bluebeard durham which is amazing um it's a beautiful crop and it mills into this gorgeous semolina and so we're taking that and extruding it and drying it into a few different pasta shapes and um yeah so that's kind of I think taking these grains and then what's the next step now that we have Mm -hmm. you know the seed stock and now that we can clean the grain and mill it like what can we what can we turn them into um you know we have the the hobbyists and enthusiasts like yourself that you know are returning to home baking but we also have the rest of the world or the population that's not quite you know, home, putting at home yet. So turning these, translating greens into something um, a little more accessible, like mm-hmm. pasta, um, <laughs> to boil water. But um, yeah, that's kind of been our focus. Our niche is convenient um, heritage green products. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So as you know, and not taking away from our home bakers or, you know, chefs that are really the core of what we do and inspire us, but um, how can someone that's never mm-hmm. really cooked before maybe participate in this green movement? Um, and well, that's yeah, exciting. So it's, it's, then, it's, yeah. Go ahead. Bringing people in, bringing people into the mill um, and just that transparency of where your food comes from and what it looks like to go from field to flower. So that's another exciting. So you guys do like regular tours and stuff? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it'll be really, yeah, everything is kind of going towards, yeah, design around bringing people in and, mm-hmm. and letting them, um, you know, classes and tours really participate hands-on seeing where, where flower comes from and what it, what it can be turned into. 
Well, that that's exciting, and and, and thanks for sharing. I I definitely wanted to give you some time to talk about what you guys are you know um, working on projects, and it just sounds like you guys are you're growing, you're you're scaling up, and and people are um, really loving your products and, and wanting to, you know, see them where they're made and, and use them in new ways. And, um, where would, uh, our listeners connect with you? What's the best way for them to find your products? Um, yeah, so HaydenFlowerMalls.com is our website. And then of course, Instagram are, you can find us under Hayden Flower Malls is such a great place to connect and kind of see what we're up to. Try to keep it, try to keep it current. Um, mm-hmm. And such a great community on there. Um, yeah, so that'd be probably the best place to start. Otherwise, if you're in the Phoenix area, you can just come out to the mill and see us. So. And you, you mentioned, did I hear you correctly, that uh, you guys are scaling up to like a national brand? Or are, are your products going to be outside of um, Arizona soon? When, when can I buy yeah. them here in San Diego? Yeah. Oh man, we'd love to be in California. <laughs> we are all, yeah, we're um, we're all over the East Coast, um, in Whole Foods in the Northeast region, and then Whole oh, wow. Foods and Sprouts here in Arizona, and hoping to, yeah, expand a little more in in the grocery um, area. So, um, yeah, so we're I I can't say like I know we're not in California. <laughs> I'd, I'd love to be, but um, we are available throughout the country um, in like a lot of, you know, boutique grocery places, um, but then Whole Foods is a bigger, bigger yeah. carrier of our product. Well, Emma, yeah, our, our time's coming to an end here. I want to respect your time and, and uh, let you get back to your, your kids, your Saturday. And uh, so I just want to say thank you again for, for coming on and being such a great guest. You know, I love your story yeah. and, and what you guys are doing in Arizona. And, and I think you guys deserve all the success you guys have experienced. So, so thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. And um you're you're welcome to come come visit the mill anytime. Oh, I'd love I'd love to see it. Emma, thank you. Have a great day. Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find out more or hear previous episodes, go to the sourdoughpodcast.com. While you're there, send me your sourdough questions. I'll try to pick one or two questions per episode and submit them to our guest on air. Also, don't forget to follow us on Instagram and be sure to share your best loves with hashtag sourdoughpodcast and I'll repost my favorites. We need your support, so if you like what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Our show is produced by me with original music composed by Weston Perry. You can find him at westonperrysoul.com. This is Mike Hilburn. You've been listening to the Sourdough Podcast.